With the festive season fast approaching, the inaugural Saudi Arabian Grand Prix gave us, among other things, five VSCs, four DNFs, three standing starts, two safety cars, and a five-second penalty. Welcome to the Grid Talk, Grid Talk podcast. This is episode 158, where we will bring you a review of the 2021 Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. I'm your host, Tom Horrocks, and I'm joined with uh, Aaron Harper from the Five Red Lights podcast. Hi, guys. Uh, Philip Matthew from the Grip Strip podcast. Hello. And the man with the best name in podcasting, it's everything F1's Tom Downey. Hello. Welcome, everyone. Make sure you subscribe to us on, on YouTube and click the bell to be notified when we're going live. And don't forget to give us a thumbs up. If you enjoy our show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and we'll give you a shout-out to say thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, and that's, uh, we've also got some competitions going as well. So you can be entered into our comp- one of our three competitions. You can have a chance of winning free merch at the store. All you need to do is subscribe to YouTube. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, comment on the video proper, not the live stream, or give us a five-star review on iTunes and you'll have a chance to win something from our merch store. You can also see what's on offer on our merch store by going to f1chronicle.com slash store. So uh, after after a race that uh, that ended in uh, Ham ver bots, uh, we uh, it's just pretty pretty straightforward race, really, wasn't it? Um, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to Phil first to talk about the uh, the uh, the performance and Lewis Hamilton still technically behind Max in the uh, in the championship, but um, but three wins in a row means he's got a great chance of uh, of seeing out the title in Abu Dhabi. How did you see his race, Phil? I mean, it was the initial start was uh, was good, and he was able to get ahead of Botas and control the race for the first, I guess, ten laps of the race before uh, Mick's unfortunate um, incident in twenty one and twenty two. From there is when I guess the race really started. Um, for all that went on, for which there's many layers to this thing, and I don't think we have enough time on this podcast to really get into all of them, or maybe we will. Um, I'm going to keep it simple in that Lewis had been able to win the poll, and I think on at least one of the 84 different starts and restarts, or two of three or four of them, he had been faster on on pace than Max Verstappen. Um and in the end, he pulled away from Max Verstappen when Verstappen's tires went away. So, I mean, it's it, it makes this points battle. It's a dead heat, theoretically, with the um, caveat that Max has one more win this season. Um, all those fastest lap points who knew that the fastest lap point would actually make such a big difference in Formula One. Well, it has. Uh, and it's leaving this a tie game, uh, going into Abu Dhabi, which makes a race that has generally been one of the more boring, um, more, um, I guess, uh, you know, DRS trained kind of races into one of the more epic fights that we'll ever have had in the history of Formula One, not only in my lifetime, but in general, first time it's been tied, they said on the broadcast, uh, since Emerson the great Emerson Fittipaldi and Clay Regazzoni in 1974, which is pretty insane. Um, and there is way different points, but points and way less races than they have here. So um, Lewis going out there, getting that win damage on the car, all the other stuff that happened there. 
um, all the things that went on during this race. Um, it was a performance that was necessary. It was a performance that you would expect from the man that is a seven-time world champion and now with 103 wins, Tom, and now we'll see if he'll be able to get 104 and possibly get that historic eighth world championship after uh, Max Verstappen generally has been the better car most of this year. But I think uh, Red Bull and Max Verstappen are going to have a lot to say about that. Yeah, I couldn't say it very. Uh, I couldn't say it any better myself. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, we'll go go to uh, Tom Downey next for his um, for his boy, Mister Mister Verstappen. The stewards giveth and they taketh away. What did you make of his tire choice today? And indeed, his driving standards. Defend your boy. Oh, nice to see you, really, gentle Tom. Um, <laughs> uh, oh God, where do we begin? Um, first of all, the decision by Red Bull to go aggressive with with the medium tire choice. I understand why they did it because track position around Saudi, as we saw, is pretty crucial. Um, but he was always going to have to get those tyres off. And yes, we had had two red flags, but the the sort of possible possibility of having a third, I think, was dwindling quite fast as as cars were sort of retiring left, right, and centre. You know, it, it turned into at one point, I think, it turned into the F1 Hunger Games because it was uh, you know, people were sort of dropping out everywhere. Um, so in, in terms of tyre choice, it was very, very aggressive. Um, and I, I dare say it, if, um, even if Max would have been on the hards at the start, the way he launched and because Hamilton moved to cover off Ocon, he did leave the door open on the left, which is where Max swooped through. Um, I'm talking about the second restart, not the first one, where he just bulldozed his way off the track um, and got a penalty for it, and rightly so. With regards to his driving standards, shall I get the can opener now for the worms I'm about to unleash? Or go for it. <laughs> okay. We all know Max is aggressive, and he puts his car in a position where sometimes he will say, "Look, you either break and concede, or we have an accident." We only have to look at Monza to see that. But when he was going down the straight today. And I am talking about that incident where Lewis hits the back of him. He was slowing to let Lewis pass. Now, yes, he, he lifted off, which does initiate some form of engine braking, as it does in a row car. But obviously, with these Formula One cars, they have very complex hybrid systems. So when he lifts off, it's going to start regening. I don't know if his rain light started flashing or not. I honestly can't remember. But the point is, Hamilton would have been able to see that Max was lifting off. And Hamilton said, he's, said himself, he downshifted. As in Hamilton said, he is in Lewis, downshifted. When he, when he realised Max was slowing down, Max was trying to let him pass, but he was trying to make sure Lewis was passed before they went through the DRS detection, which you're going to want to do because you're going to want to get as good a run as you can back on the, back on the driver who you're battling for the world title with. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. Sorry, we are you still going? Uh, I'm I'm still pondering. Yeah. Okay, uh, <laughs> I, I, I will wrap this up in a moment. I promise. No, that's fine. You you, but, you go ahead. But um, Max didn't cause Lewis to crash into him on that straight. I'm putting it out there, and I know that I know that we're going to have different opinions, and that's that's part of life and part of F1. I don't think Max 
intentionally cause an accident or all the rest of it. Lewis should have perhaps interpreted the situation a bit better. I would also like to point out both drivers, emotions running very high. It was, I've never experienced a race like this, right? I've never had like the sort of emotion that I've had whilst I've been watching a race. And when I say emotion, I don't mean sad. I mean, what on earth is going on? Um, And it was bad enough for me as a spectator. So to be a title rival sitting in the cockpit under the lights with millions of people watching you on TV, you know, I can't imagine the pressure they were under. Time. Yeah, no apologies. I was I was having a window issue. It just shut down my Zoom for a second. <laughs> Bear with me again. Sorry about that, gents. Uh, yes, uh, no. This I think we'll we'll probably get into that a little bit more in the in the post show. So uh, stick around for the post show, our, our YouTube audience, and uh, and uh, and and get into that. And I'm sure we'll uh, we'll discuss it when it comes to drive for the day as well. Uh, I'm going to move on to you now, Aaron. The um, uh, a touch unlucky today from from Bottas, but a great recovery and a last gas podium reminds me a bit of the uh, of when he passed Stroll at Baku on the last lap, doesn't it? Yeah, it was very much Baku 2017 vibes, and it was a bit of that all the way through the race because the amount of red flags and restarts and just general carnage, um, it was very very similar to that race. Uh, he kind of got the raw end of the deal, didn't he, in terms of all the bad luck that Mercedes were having. He, he got shuffled. Uh, he made a good start, and he secured that second place, which was crucial in the opening stages. But there was there was always going to be a red flag or a safety car in, in this race that, that caught somebody out. And if it was going to catch anybody out of Mercedes, it was going to be Bottas. And then he kind of did his Bottas thing where he got stuck. And then towards the second half of the third or fourth part of the race after the, the final restart. He finally got past Ricardo. Took him a few attempts, but overtaking wasn't easy. And some other drivers showed that it was definitely possible. Obviously, the closer you come in terms of car performance, the trickier it becomes. So for Bottas to actually make two bona fide overtakes to secure a podium is... Uh, it's pretty good going for Valtteri as things go, because he gen- generally tends to get <laughs> a wee bit stuck and a bit bogged down. So it, it was pretty good for him. He, he did get a raw end of the deal in terms of the bad luck, but he'll be very happy with that uh, across the line. You, you saw he, his uh, reaction, with pump, punch in the air, and the Mercedes uh, mechanics and team staff were really happy for him. And I think they're giving him like a really big send-off, which is, which is nice to see for Valtteri before he goes to Alpha. Yeah, I think Mercedes genuinely really do like Valtteri Bottas and uh, and just wanted him to willing him to succeed, but just uh, in the end, just not really matching matching his far more superior teammate. But uh, nice to see him uh, him still fighting for results and fighting for the team and not doing what a lot of people suspected, which was uh, sabotage Lewis's title uh, title bid. Uh, and then we move on to Esteban Ocon now, the uh, the luckiest man in motorsport, seemingly with the Red Sea parting again for him. Um, this time, actually at the Red Sea, uh, he will be slightly gutted that he lost a podium at the end there, though, Phil, won't he? Yeah, I mean, he ran a to go from ninth to be in a mix. And while the two title combatants are, are, are doing whatever they're doing with each other, um, not being able to pass each other cleanly or whatever, but the, um, Esteban Ocon just sat there and, and did his thing. And 
similar. They made the mention of Hungarian Grand Prix and all. He he stayed up there and he held on. I mean, you look at Fernando Alonso. We'll talk about him later. Um, after the performance Fernando Alonso put on at uh, at the last race to be so far away while Esteban Ocon basically took that role this week um, is something. But I also think it's it's showing the maturity of Esteban Ocon. Uh, we've questioned his stand, probably all of us at some point have questioned his driving and questioned some of the decisions he's made and whatever. But his run at Hungary was a great, great race for him to get his, his first Grand Prix win. And I think this race today was a great performance again. I mean, Alpine last week basically went and took, they just took the life and everything out of uh, Alpha Tori. But this last couple of weeks has also shown that both of their drivers are ready for these new regulations to come along in 2022, because it seems like they're both switched on um, and looking forward to the opportunity to possibly be up there on a more regular basis with the likes of Ferrari, McLaren, and like and, and other teams. So unfortunate, the DRS and everything for Botas got uh, Esteban Ocon at the end, but he did a really, really good job today. And while other things we're going to focus on, obviously other things, um, Esteban Ocon's performance deserves a lot of credit um, for the way he handled himself the whole day. Yeah, once again, couldn't couldn't agree more. It was a solid performance from Esteban Ocon. Uh, and me not being his biggest fan either. That's uh, that's definitely uh, definitely a good good uh, good result there for the team there. So uh, moving on to uh, to my favourite team, McLaren. Uh, Ricardo looking quite racy uh, early in the race, uh, even passing Mercedes at one point. So pretty pretty good race all round, Tom. Don't you think? Yeah, um, I think when people were saying, "Oh, Danny Rick's on for a podium," I think they're a bit optimistic given how relatively lackluster he's been when he's been in those positions this year. I was one um, of those people. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, but, uh, but uh, I was... Uh, when I saw him up in P4 and I, I saw someone say, oh, he, he got a podium, I thought, mm, he could. Is he really going to? And you know, sadly, he didn't. Um, but it was still a good race. You know, P5, very good result for Danny Rick. Um, I'm not sure how much closer that brings McLaren because Ferrari were, what, I think 7th and 8th and then Lando was 10th or something around that. So um, so it, in, in terms of the constructors, it's not going to do much, but it was a good race for was a good race for Danny Rick. Um, didn't see much of him because there was so much else going on in this race, I wonder what. And, um, and, and, and yes, you know, it's, just, it's, it's hard to say like what I thought of him in this race other than good job was P5, but I forgot about everybody except for the front two, to be honest, as I'm sure most of us did. Yeah, I think we can all be a, a little bit guilty of that. And uh, just just for the record there, it's a, it's a massive gain for McLaren in the Constructors' Championship. They're now a point closer to Ferrari than they were at the start of the day. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's big gains, big gains. They're definitely back on for that third place. Uh, moving on to somebody who uh, I thought, in Pierre Gasly, was one of the few drivers that didn't seem to be involved in any antics at all today. Um, so, uh, another clean race for him, Aaron? Yeah, Pierre Gasly was actually in this race. <laughs> But the also runs like a few others. There's so much going on elsewhere. But, you know, he kept out of trouble. And uh, this is one of those tracks, a little bit like Baku, where you have to keep your nose clean and you have to be in it to win it. 
you know, if the front guys start tripping over each other, you you might have a knock on winning the race or a Gasly coming through to win it. And that didn't happen today. But, you know, again, for Pierre, very consistent, bagging the points, sixth place for Alpha Tower. If you offered them sixth place at every race, they would absolutely snap your hand off for it. So to have a driver delivering at more or less that level, more or less every race is is massive for them. Because, you know, Sonoda doesn't always set the world on fire. And if they put another young Red Bull driver in there, who's to say what's going to happen? Are they going to fall back down the order? Gasly is carrying that team and he's shown it again today. I saw him, I remember battling with Ricardo before the first red flag. But after then, I don't think we saw him at all. Um, but sometimes that just shows how well someone is delivering, that their their good results are unnoticed because... They're doing it all the time. Yeah, no, he's uh, no, another solid performance from Gasly, definitely. And uh, so moving on to, to Charles Leclerc, uh, fourth to seventh doesn't seem like a great result on paper, but in the end he was lucky to get away without damage. Uh, so what was your opinion of his race then, Phil? Yeah, the the inc- incident with uh, Sergio Perez probably was the key, uh, was a key turning point in his day, Tom, and it, was I mean he also had a battle with uh, his smooth operating teammate and went off the track in that instance too. Um, wasn't wasn't the best day for Charles. Uh, he had a great day yesterday in qualifying, but it wasn't the best today to go and consolidate points uh, when they probably didn't have the outright pace and also got into multiple incidents during the day. I mean, that's really, you just take it and leave it. Uh, you know, you talk about what Gasly's performance was. It was generally nondescript. And that's really where we're going to get to after, once we get past Esteban Ocon, unfortunately, with most of this race. Um, at least for Ferrari. I mean, I know for you as a McLaren fan, Tom, it's, it didn't help this day. Um, but really, the last few months haven't helped uh, for McLaren, um, since Danny's Rick's, uh, win or Danny Ricardo, I mean, I should have said, cut it off at Danny Rick's race for this race, but, um, ever since his win at Italy, it's, it's gone Ferrari's way. And, um, even in this instance, when they're almost running over each other, they still got away with it, both scored points and, um, getting ready to finish out this year, take third in constructors, and kind of reset in the 22 um, as possibly the most like level, even driver lineup there is on the grid. And there will be continuity there as well. I mean, general continuity across most of the teams. Uh, but um, it'll be good for Ferrari next year. I think this is like talking about what Alpine's been able to do. I think what Ferrari's performance here in the last few months has shown is that maybe they've finally turned the corner. Maybe they're coming back to being the Ferrari of old. Um, and the battles between them and McLaren are going to really matter again up front with the big two that has existed for the most last few years. Um, and it could be like 2010 and 2012 again, um, which would be good for the sport in general. 
Yeah, they were they were never going to be kept down for long, were they, Ferrari? And uh, and another double points finish for them with Carlos Sainz in eighth place, Tom. And uh, Carlos Sainz now the driver with the most points without a win. Some good early t- overtakes, but quite a quiet day for him in in comparison. What's what's your thoughts on him? Yeah, um, I, I was impressed with what we did see of Sainz today because he worked his way up through the field pretty quickly. Um, he started what P fifteen, I think it was P fifteen, P fourteen. He started, I think, I think he was P fifteen. Um, but it was it was it was a good result. Um, he did have a good battle with Claire at one point when when Claire went a bit wide into turn one to hold a lasting advantage. Hint, hint, stewards. Um, but um, but yeah, but he 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 put in some good moves. You know, he, he was he was battling well on track. Um, he he did probably about as well as as well as was to be expected of the Ferrari this weekend. Um, you know, much like Gasly and everybody else we've just spoken about bar the front two, he sort of just went about his business and just 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 cracked on with it. Um he did uh yeah, I, I don't really know what, what else to add. You know, it was it was it was just a solid result for him. Good for Ferrari and just strengthening their grip on third in the constructors. Yeah, another strong results for uh what He's commonly become known as Sunday Science. It's uh, it's uh, unfortunate for a McLaren fan to see Ferrari doing so well, but uh, yeah, absolutely, it's uh, another strong performance from him, and a strong performance as well from Antonio Giovinazzi uh, back there in ninth place, two points. Uh, you be, you'd be forgiven for forgetting about Alfa Romeo in a race like this, Aaron, but uh, but actually, he was actually noticed on track a few times today. He was, um, and I'll give Giovinazzi his credit; he did a lot better than I expected him to. So I was flicking through a few drivers just to uh, watch the start uh, on board with, just sort of hoping to be on board with the one person who caused chaos. And he was one of my candidates. Uh, I eventually landed on Lance Stroll, actually, just for reference. Um, but it's, it's one of those, again, like he, he kept his nose clean and we saw it at Monza where he qualified really well. And then on the first lap, ended up being spun round by, uh, I think it was Science's Ferrari, because he misjudged uh, his, ex, his uh, re-entry at the second chicane. So to navigate his way through all the carnage, because he, he could quite easily have been one of those, as so many others could have, uh, been collected by the uh, Perez and Leclerc collision. Um, it, it's quite incredible that, so many of the midfield cars got through and it was the guys at the back, like the Mazepins and Russells who got caught out by it. But it must have just been that bottleneck. He managed to get his way through. And in, compar- in comparison to his teammate, he did a solid job, kept his nose clean, fought his battles. And just, I guess he, he, he thought big picture because we didn't see a great deal of him after, say, about halfway. And there may have been a few other things happening. Yeah, well, he's he's Formula E bound now, so I'm sure he'll get a lot more uh, a lot more TV time in Formula E because the exciting drivers. And he does tend to be fairly exciting when he's in close racing. Did get a lot of coverage in Formula E, so I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of uh, Italian Jesus next year. Moving on to Lando Norris and the last of the points finishes. Then Phil, uh, it all started so well for him, but bad luck with the red flag and come across a stationary Perez didn't help his race either. Yeah, it was on on. I mean, I think the start of the race was good for him, Tom and. It seemed like he was going to be able to get a top five, top six finish uh, if if there was any normalcy. Um, I mean, how could you have that 
at this race, but um, and it definitely didn't come through. The red flag did not help him getting stuck behind traffic, the Perez incident and all the argy bargy that went on around that sent him to the tail. Uh, and when you get to the back there, even with all the stuff that happened after that, you're not going to really be able to make up the kind of time that you need to make up. Uh, and it, as the guys have said uh, in uh, with some of the other uh, drivers so far, it you were basically holding on. Um, and after all the, all the crashing and all the safety cars and restarts and all to make it to the end of the race was just a bonus. Um, and to get points is a bonus. So for Lando, it's not what he wanted coming into this weekend. I'm sure. I think he had had, he had obviously had the better of Daniel, um, which has been the case for virtually most, most of this year. Uh, but the result will show that. Um, he wasn't ahead of him in the race, but I think we know that Lando um, for most of this year has really shown and that he's taken that step forward today may not have been one of his better races it really wasn't out of uh, because of him, but I'm curious to see how he'll finish the year, what kind of momentum he'll take into next year. Cause he's one of those guys that um, is that next wave um, all the super best friends with him and George Russell and Charles Leclerc and all of them, they're all going to kind of be in a good situation. Um, so how will that all work out for all the super best friends going into 2022 um, and how they all race on the real track instead of just strictly in the sim world uh, where they have so many great battles. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Lando is definitely one of those, uh, as you say, super best friends. I like that. Uh, I like that analogy very much. So, uh, moving on to to a lot of people's drive of the day from last week, not mine, but a lot of people have said drive of the day. Lance Stroll. Uh, so, moving on to you, Tom. If um, uh, he had made a couple of places at the start there, but that's kind of about as good as it got for Stroll. Yeah, um, I've got to be honest. I was borderline placing bets at one point as to who was going to crash out next. This was after the second red flag. And I'd said Stroll will crash out next. I, I was, I was pretty sure it was going to be him, but you know, alas, we didn't have any further DNS. You know, thankfully, after that, um, I didn't see anything of Stroll this weekend. I don't even know what he did. I don't. Where did he finish? P eleven. Yes, P eleven. Just outside P, the P eleven. Okay, yeah. I guess to show you how much I paid attention to Stroll this weekend um, or today. Um, but the thing is. She had an awful qualifying. Aston had an awful qualifying. P11, given there were, you know, given Perez went out, so he'd have been P12, and then, you know, he he might have been you know, P13, P14, realistically. Um, I don't know how much further he'd have got up the field. Not great, is it? Um, I mean, he did better than his teammate, but his teammate had to retire. Because of an incident with with another driver, um, he didn't retire. He was still classified. Otherwise, my song doesn't make sense at the start. He was still classified. Okay, I thought it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he did retire but, technically, but he's still yeah, classified. He did, but, so. Yeah, because yeah, he did over eighty percent of race distance yeah. or something. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Well, yeah, but Stroll just like he's just like a tree. It's like he just exists, but <laughs> you just don't really care. 
Wow. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's just, just like a bit of a plank, isn't he? <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I've never heard Lance Troll just described as a tree. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's certainly not going to leave anytime soon. I'm really sorry. That was a terrible, terrible pun. Uh, we'll, we'll move on swiftly after that then. So, uh, Nicholas Latifi, um, 12th place. Not really a, uh, a fitting tribute to the late Sir Frank, but given the pace that car had today, not really, a, uh, not really a bad run, Aaron. Yeah, it was another case of avoiding the mayhem. Um, I mean, I, I've just very quickly scrolled through the Williams Twitter feed to sort of get an idea of how Latifi's race went. So he started in uh, 16th and was 19th at the end of the first lap. So he didn't actually have that great a start which may have played a hand in him sort of staying out of trouble because he might have just sort of been out of the firing line. Um, and it looked like he could have been on for points, but then all, all the craziness stopped being in the midfield and started being higher up the order. But like you say, an, an emotional weekend for Williams. And I think just for their cars to be out on track, for the, the Williams name to still be there, um, after all the trouble that they've had financially and handing the team over, it coming away from the Williams family, and now obviously Sir Frank passing away, God rest his soul. Um, a tough weekend for Williams, and one I think that they'll just sort of maybe just be pleased to see the back of with sort of everything fairly normal for them and a solid 12th place finish, considering. Um, you know, if, if it had been George finishing. In 12th, I think we'd have been very impressed. So I think we have to treat Latifi with the same amount of respect and say, well done. Um, because, you know, he's finished ahead of some quick guys, you know, in, in quick cars. So Sonoda in the Alpha Tauri was sometimes popping it up at the top of the order when he did some of his practice runs and his qualifying runs. So there was pace in that car, um, maybe just a few less brains. So Latifi perhaps thinking his way through the race a little bit more smartly than others, which played played to his strengths and paid dividends. Yeah, not 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 a bad performance at all there. And uh, so moving on to uh, Fernando Alonso, seemed to be going backwards at the start, struggling with deployment, Phil, but uh, uh, not really not really a great result for the, the uh, Alpine number two driver. <laughs> no, Alpine number two driver, that's funny. That's a good one. Uh, the two-time world champion who was probably the driver of the day last week, and now he's the number two driver. That's good. Um, yeah, he did not have a great weekend. He definitely looked like a number two driver, uh, not only in qualifying, but in the race had issues, mechanicals, all kinds of stuff for Fred. Um, it looked like his Indy 500 run a few years ago, but you know, whichever one you want to pick, I, he's had at Indy 500, but you know, I think after Qatar and what he did there, um, the way the season's been, he's had his, the ebbs and flows have definitely been there for Fred and you usually have a good one and you have a bad one. Well, it probably means he'll have a good one next week. Uh, unfortunate, uh, but they made their points. They did what they had to do last week. I think their season was made last week with his performance and that's, what's going to stand out no matter what he could fall out of the race at Abu Dhabi first. It really won't matter his job in defending Lewis Hamilton at Hungary and then finishing third at Qatar along, of course, with Ocon's win. Um, 
those were the three highlights of the year. And that for, for a guy who had been uh, driving WEC and doing all kinds of other stuff, uh, it's pretty good coming back from out of semi-retirement to back in Formula One. This may have not been one of his best days, but hey, uh, Fred has them once in a while. It's okay. Um, it's not like it'll be he'll be behind Vitaly Petrov or something in a big spot like he was a few years ago. Yeah, I was just trying to get a rise out of you with that uh, Alonso comment, to be honest. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, as you say, they've def- they've done their job. Twenty nine point lead over AlphaTauri now, so it's just a case of seeing the season out for them now. That that job's basically done. It's uh, it's it's all but sealed uh, the position, which probably they they would have been looking to be a little bit higher at the at the start of the season. But uh, but the, you know, you you reap what you sow, and their 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 car design is what's it three year old car now effectively. So uh, pretty pretty strong. Um, in the end, but uh, moving on to the person that's probably partly responsible for why they've uh, they've finished in in that position in the constructors championship is uh, is Yuki Sonoda. Tom, um, he seems to be back to his old self. Uh, he did have a couple of nice overtakes uh, that we we saw early on in the race, but uh, yeah, uh, the, the slightly comical um, re-entry to the pit to change the front wing. And uh, uh, what did you make of his race? Ah, uh, Yuki. Um, yeah. You, you pretty much summed it up. You, you said he was back to his normal self. It's a shame because he had a really good qualifying. Um, you know, he put that Alpha Tari higher up than it should have been. Um, but it's just the, the move was said was clumsy, really, really clumsy. And then when he got stuck in his front wing when he was trying to reverse, I think he was beginning to panic or fluster a bit at that point. Um, and then just limped home. Well, limp back to the pits, got a front wing change, got a five-second time penalty for causing a collision, and then um and then just pooled around to the end. It's not really much more to add to that, to be honest. It was just um just not really good Saturday, terrible Sunday. Um and, and yeah, it was just just a bit shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit a bit of a bit of a shame. Really, he doesn't seem to be able to put it together over a uh, over a full weekend, unfortunately, Yuki Sonoda. Um, but moving on to the the last of the official finishers was was Kimi Raikkonen. Looked feisty at parts, but uh, uh, seemed to be joining in in the bullying of Sebastian Vettel. Aaron, uh, how how do you think he uh, he did? Is the life in the old dog yet? I'd say or Kimi. This this was Kimi. <laughs> um, for Kimi, that was. It was a bizarre race for Kimi because that that move with Seb, like the first one down to turn one where he just sort of sent it was brilliant. Okay, he's gone a bit deep and Seb's got him back. But then to try and hang it around the outside of the, the fast left-hander, I think that's that turn four or five or I don't know, one of the many corners. One of the 27. One of the 27 corners that turns left. Um all my notes, I've got it down as dumb, which I th- it's just not something I was I associated with with Kimmy. It was just a bit silly. He he didn't have the line into the corner. Yeah, the next corner was a sort of sweeping right, but you're never going to run side by side through there. So it was hardly surprising to see that they'd made contact. And for for me, Kimmy was completely the the aggressor and at fault for that because he was he was trying to do something that just that just was never going to work because Seb had the inside line 
And for a bloke as, who's done as many Grand Prix as he has, that was really surprising and a, a touch disappointing, actually, because it almost has a blasé attitude to, oh, well, I'm retiring, I'll just, I'll just have a go because I can and it doesn't really have any consequences. And perhaps on that circuit wasn't the smartest idea. No, no, absolutely true. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, my feelings on Kimi Raikkonen, so I'm, I'm just going to stay quiet, I think, to be honest. So moving on to the, uh, the, the first of the, uh, the first of the, of the classified non-finishers, Sebastian Vettel. Uh, moving on to you, Phil. Uh, not a lot of pace, had a bit of a crash with Sonoda and Kimi, uh, more of a pinball than a driver today. Yeah, I mean, Yuki used him up and then, uh, or whatever, maybe he didn't, who knows? I mean, it's Yuki Sonoda, and uh, if he isn't hitting something, he's probably just in the way. Uh, for, for Sebastian Vettel, it was a rough weekend. They had no pace in qualifying, and then his he got, he had that incident in turn one with Yuki, then him and his, his badminton buddy, uh, got into it in one of those S sections. I don't know what Kimi saw there. Um, maybe he saw the vodka he was going to have later in the day. I mean, it is very late in Saudi, so I don't know if he's really, but it is, it is Kimi Raikkonen. So maybe he's going to be partying all night long. He figured he wanted to take some uh, wings and stuff off of Seb's car and get him ready for the bat, uh, for the after party. Um, I don't know. Uh, they, they stopped the car to save the engine as though it really matters at this point. I mean, who cares? All these teams have taken engine penalties, so what are they really saving? Uh, but, yeah, they stopped them. I think there was so much damage on that car. He wasn't. He had no pace before they damaged the car. So I can only imagine how that car drove once he had been hit twice. Um, it's kind of unfortunate uh, for Seb, but you know, that's been the, the deal here on for a lot of this season. They've had moments, the Aston Martin, whatever they are, the stroll F1 team, but more or less they've been right on the edge of being in the back and they're seventh in the constructors. Uh, they're, yeah, they're seventh in the constructors for a reason. Um, they, they aren't really, a direct competitor with AlphaTauri. They're definitely not in the mix with the five teams ahead of AlphaTauri, but they're well ahead of um, Williams, Alfa Romeo, and and, and uh, Haas. So run out the string. Let's see if they actually can make a car that isn't a Mercedes uh, next year, and maybe uh, Sebastian Vettel can bring it back old school to like sand like circa 2010 or something and maybe pull something out. I mean, he had a couple of the Hungarian Grand Prix was a good run and a couple other runs here and there, but it's been kind of a nondescript year. Even uh, it's been a nondescript few years for the former four time world champion. Yeah, I'm definitely up for a return of, of the 2010 form of Sebastian Vettel, just not the uh, not the 2010 Vettel himself, because he's one of the most likable men in the paddock now, and uh, it'd be great to see him back up there fighting for podiums where he should be. Uh, moving on to somebody who has been fighting for podiums recently, but unfortunately, uh, the first of the uh, of the of the official non-finishers, Sergio Perez classified 17th, but was out very early on. Red Bull effectively out of the constructors' championship now, Tom. Oh, well, it's definitely an advantage Mercedes, isn't it, after that? You know, they, they, they got a 1-3. There's only one... You know, there's only one thing they could have done better, which would have been a 1-2. Uh, 
obviously. Um, I'm just going to look at the difference in constructors at the moment, but it would take a fairly big swing next. I say fairly it's 20, big. It's 28 points. Yeah, so, so the second driver will come into play even more next week. Um, but Perez, he... God, did, did you see his launch at, at, at the original race start? So the the, the first one um, uh, at half five, he so nearly steamrolled into Max because Max didn't have the best launches and Perez had a bit of a lightning launch. Uh, at one point, I thought Perez was going to... I thought he was going to hit Max and I was just thinking, oh my God, just imagine, really. Um, but thankfully, he didn't. And yes, I realised how well shot sounded. Um but uh, but but then his his DNF, um, you know, Leclerc said, did Perez not see him? But Leclerc was what a bit optimistic, putting his car in that position on a street circuit that we've never been to. We've already seen carnage out in the Formula Two race and the first start of the F one race this weekend. I don't think Perez was entirely to blame. I think he needs to share some of the blame for that. I can't remember what the outcome was for it. Um, I don't even know if there was anything for it in, in the end. I think it was just put down as a collision. Um, but Perez, my God, did you see how close the TV was? I don't know how many people picked it up, but the TV so nearly T-boned Perez as Perez bounced off the wall. And if he would have done, we could have been looking at a very, very, very different outcome. And that's something which I want to talk about in a bit, which is a wider topic about this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I did catch that and it was, was a pretty scary moment. Not quite as bad as, as obviously um, Hubert and, and Radion a few years ago, but still would have, wouldn't have been a, a healthy result. And it, uh, it, it, it had that level of trepidation about it. Certainly would have been a would have been a scary incident. But uh, speaking of scary incidents, I'll um, I'll move on to everyone's favourite Russian, um, and that's uh, Nikita Mazepin. Aaron uh, runs high sixteenth at one point, but then uh, he forgot where the brake pedal was and uh, ended George Russell's race. Yeah, he, he did. I think he was pretty blameless for that, to be honest, because there was so much happening, um, and you can't expect a driver of his lack of skill to be able to respond quickly enough. So it was no surprise that he drove into the back of, of George. But it, in, in all seriousness, there was not much any driver could have done in that situation. There was so much happening so fast. Uh, I think George was sort of out of kilter as well because he'd gone across the little runoff bit at turn two. So Mazepin had come round and then George was maybe still trying to get up to speed and then had to hit the brakes. There must have been quite a large uh, speed difference. And obviously the impact was fairly severe. Obviously, we don't want to see drivers hurt, no matter who they are, what we think of them. So to see Mazepin walk away from that with no major damage to himself is is a win for safety in F1. Um, but his race didn't really last very long, so and he's driving a Haas, so you can't really speak too much about him because he didn't have time to do anything that, you know, the sort of stuff he normally does, like getting in the way and annoying everyone <laughs> so he was out before he could even bother doing that 
bit, bit of a shame for everyone involved, really. But uh, yeah, no, it's just glad to see he was okay, to be honest, because it was a pretty hefty whack. And we, we saw in the F2 as well earlier, um, Tia Porcher and uh, and um, one of the Fittipaldi offspawn. I can't remember which, uh, <laughs> which one it was. But, uh, Enzo, I think. Enzo Fittipaldi, yes, that's the one. Uh, I, I haven't heard an update on his condition yet. I know he was airlifted away. And it's good to see that, that Mazepin was okay in that incident. Um, moving on to, to you, Phil, then with, with George Russell. He's um, a good battle with Stroll in the early phases, but uh, that's kind of all we saw of him, really. Yeah, it was not... Uh, I mean, George had his run a few months ago, which basically gave Williams their spot in eighth in the Constructors' Championship. Uh, but ever since then, once the announcement came through that he's going to be Lewis's teammate next year, uh, Doralton, whoever, whoever's made the calls, the car has basically become very uh, uh, nondescript. And um, it's sad with um, the passing of Frank Williams for how great of a man he was and what he did for this sport and what he gave and all the things he did. And this is one of the last drivers he ever had. And, um, I mean, this race was whatever. It was um, his qualifying. He got in a Q2, but his start wasn't good. And then he was battling with Stroll. So you never know what's going to happen with that. You're likely going to get into contact with him, but um, he, it was a bit of a, a mess there. And then that accident after that uh, first safety, the first red flag was kind of, uh, it was just liable to happen. Um, and, you know, glad that Egghead walked away there, but you kind of expect that out of him that he would just drive into a car that's stationary. But um it's a place that you kind of goes to the greater issue of the track itself where you have nowhere to go or where there are places to go. It's probably a little bit too much. So, I mean, we probably are going to get into that later anyway, but um, just glad George is okay. Um, it's one race to go in this season for his, um, for one race in his Williams career as he moves on to greener pastures at Mercedes and um, his, uh, his buddy, part of the whole super best friends uh, crew, and Alex Albon will now uh, take his place there alongside um, Canadian billionaire son who has a ride um, in um, in uh, Latifi in 2022. Yeah, but he can't wait to, uh, to to get onto, as you say, greener pastures or uh, or silver pastures, as it may well be next year. Uh, the, the last drive we're going to talk about today, uh, Mick Schumacher, first victim of the Saudi Arabian Wars on lap 10. And uh, I was watching the race with, with with my parents and my father at that point said to me uh, just before that, literally just before it, well, this race is a bit dull, isn't it? And then, uh, yeah, <laughs> sprung into life. And the, he, I've never seen him so gripped on a race since then. So uh, so on to you, Tom, then. Uh, give us a 10-lap summary of uh, Mick Schumacher's race. Um, I'll give you a 10-word summary. It's lights down away we go. Shit, I'm in the wall. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Um, it's funny you used to say that you said you, you said to your dad, oh, or that your dad said, oh, it's a bit of a boy. I thought the same thing. I thought, oh, we're settling into a bit of a procession. And then Mick Schumacher just went, oh, I'm bored now. And just went, oh, and went into the wall, basically. Um, it, was, uh, it was pretty similar to... Um, uh, to um, oh god, who crashed in FP2? Uh, Leclerc, 
it was the way the back of the car just basically says, oh, I don't want any grip, any more grip now. And then just basically just completely just did an Uno reverse card on him and went straight into the wall. It was a nasty shunt as well. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe maybe Schumacher's... Actually, do you know what? I've just worked it out. Schumacher was sitting there going, nah, my dad's the GOAT, not, not Hamilton. And he was determined to bring out the red flag because he just went to red play, went, nah, tell you what, hun, I'll do this. You don't pit. We've got it sorted. That was what it was. Hell of a conspiracy theory, that one. That's a, that's, that's a new one. Well, there um, wasn't enough spice in this race, so I thought I'd add a bit more. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I think we've I think we've got quite enough to talk about, to be honest, for the rest of this podcast now. So, um, we'll, just, we'll, um, we'll give you an opportunity to, to talk about the, uh, the, the pinch points from what we've seen in this race and the, the, the big ticket incidents as well, whilst talking about Drive of the Day, because I'm sure they'll feature in that. So, feel free to, to do a bit, of a bit of a summary on your thoughts on the, on the big incidents as well. So, we'll start with you, Aaron. What's your, who is your Drive of the Day and what's your, what's your take on the, uh, on the big incidents that you haven't been able to talk about so far? So my drive of the day is Esteban Ocon because I think to have kept that Alpine where it was and he, to manage his way through the chaos, I think he drew on all the experience from Hungary having Seb Vettel breathing down his neck for 50, 60-odd laps um, to sort of manage himself. He was really unlucky that the Bottas just absolutely mugged him on the final, final straight, but he, he drove really, really well. Um, he could easily have got tangled up with Hamilton and Verstappen at the, the restart or just decided he didn't want any part of it. But he put himself in there and he was brave. And he, and he got, he almost got the big reward. But, you know, P4 from, I can't remember where he started. He, was, he, was he in the top 10? I can't remember. Or just that, might have been ninth. I, I can't recall. I think he was in Q3. I, yeah. I I've, don't have that in front of me. Yeah, so from from ninth in the Alpine to fourth, that's pretty good going. And well, the the, the big incident, it's it's a, it's a really messy situation. And the emotional side of me is Max Verstappen was banged to rights. He he stopped on the track, stopping on the track when he didn't need to. It was dangerous. Um, but I actually agree with what Tom said that Verstappen didn't caused the accident at least not directly but it, it was he who started the whole chain reaction with his very robust defense into turn one um and then from there it was just carnage because the fia didn't have control of the situation they weren't able to relay to both teams what needed to be done and by that point, they'd already crashed into each other because neither, well, one of them had a picture of what was happening and one didn't. And the, the blame is not equally shared in all parts, but Max has a, a case to answer for. Lewis has a case to answer for, but not just driving past immediately. Um and, but then so do the FIA and the, and the teams and just the way it was handled was incredibly messy. It creates an awful lot of stories and talking points and column inches, which is going to sell a lot of newspapers or whatever. But for, for F1 as, an, as a sporting image, it, it's not great. It, 
but it gives us a lot to talk about. It's very exciting. Um, yeah. Sorry, Tom, did you want to say something? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick up on what Aaron said. First of all, the shock on my face was when he said, I actually agree with Tom. I was like, really? Um, your face was a picture. You were shaking your head in disbelief. And nobody said, I agree with what? Tom. You, you were like, what? Double take. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Aaron, I'm glad you mentioned about the FIA. Um, here we go. Buckle in, ladies and gentlemen. And everybody else. You may yeah. as well do your drive of the day while you're there, Tom. Uh, Ocon. Um, <laughs> simple. Um, the FIA were a bloody shambles today. Um, specifically, Michael Massey. I have tried to defend him in the past, and F1 cynics will, they seem to love like, the, the sort of romanticism of a driver or an individual from yesteryear. It's like people will always, they'll always long for. Charlie Whiting, or they'll always long for a driver who's not around anymore. And it does seem to be stronger in F1 than other sports I follow, because I'm a very big rugby fan, being Welsh, and I'm also quite a big weightlifting fan, because it's what I do in my spare time, of which there doesn't seem to be much anymore. Um, but F1, by a country mile, always has people saying, oh, you're back in the glory days, or back in this, back in that. And I've always tried to defend Massey by saying, look, you know, he's new into this role. Charlie Whiting leaves behind him a big legacy. And Massey was thrust into this position um, with, you know, not, you know, sort of like unexpectedly almost, because we didn't expect Charlie Whiting to pass when he did. And I've always tried to sort of be neutral and maintain that Massey is learning on the job. And there are so, so many complicated rules, regulations, and intricacies of Formula One that he still has to get his head around, but he does not help himself. And I'm putting banging my fist on the desk now as well because I'm really getting into it. Massey does not help himself when he just starts sassing people on the radio. And to then not tell Mercedes that he, that he Massey himself, has told Red Bull they have to let him past, that just caused a complete cluster F of just mixed messages Nobody knowing what was going on. So just rewinding back, rewinding back to the incident, Verstappen is thinking, right, I've got to let Hamilton pass. I want to let him pass before DRS. So I hit the activation point and I catch DRS. Why wouldn't he? That's a brilliant racing brain. Hamilton comes up behind um, Verstappen. Mercedes haven't told him how um, Verstappen's got to let you pass because Massey hasn't told Mercedes. So Mercedes can't tell Hamilton. Hamilton then is then thinking, oh, I don't know what's going on. Rightly thinks, in my mind, rightly thinks there could be something up ahead. There could be debris, there could be anything. We'd had three or four VSCs and two red flags by this point. So there was precedent in this race already that there was going to be something on the track or there was going to be something wrong. And then, obviously, we saw the incident. And hearing Ron Meadows that angry on the phone, he tore Michael Massey a new one, and I cannot defend Michael Massey in this. We are lucky today that there was not a more serious accident. We are lucky that Nikita Mazepin has all pretty much walked away from that accident because he went square on into the back of that Williams and could have easily broken both of his legs. You only have to look at the likes of Billy Monger to see how serious an accident that could have been. And for the FIA to homologate this, this circuit I cannot fathom how they think this is okay. 
where on earth in the sequence, did, when designing this chapter, do they think, oh, I know, let's squeeze everybody together in cars that are two metres wide in a circuit that's only marginally wider than Monaco, give a bunch of drivers, including two who hate each other's guts, who are going for the World Championship with two races to go, including this one. Who the hell thought that was a good idea? And, and to only pass one decision to the stewards, like Phil said, it was the one decision for Verstappen for leaving the track and gaining an advantage. <sighs> it's just been an absolute bloody farce this weekend. And today, it's just... they've they've F1 looks like a laughing stock at the moment because there have been decisions thrown out left, right and centre. There have been temper tantrums from Red Bull, from Mercedes, from the FIA, from me right now. And it's just like... It's just, it's just, it's just a joke, and something has to change. Whether it's we have the same sewers week in week out, whether there's a restructuring of the FIA, whether there's a restructuring of how they go about sort of troubleshooting these events, or or how or how the sort of processes change for on a weekend, because if Michael Massey is sitting there thinking, oh well, this has happened, that's happened, but he hasn't told Mercedes the Red Bull are going to let Hamilton pass. That could have been an aeroplane accident. That could have been huge. You know, it, it was it was, It was. was just, it's just not on. Yeah, no, I, I, I echo that a lot. I, to be honest, at, uh, at, at times I was fully expecting Noel Evans to come on and offer the deal or no deal to uh, to, uh, to Red Bull. It just seemed absolutely farcical. They're just making rules up as they go along. And, and where in the rule book does it say that, that you know... You can you offer can, a position. Yeah, and it, it just... It, it, the whole thing just, just stinks to me a little bit. And and I just want to read out two quotes as well I've just, just seen on Twitter. One from Christian Horner, which is why Karen Horner is trending once again. Uh, sector 1 is more driver-focused and Sector 2 and 3 is more about the end engine anyone can drive in a straight line um that those kind of comments just not helpful and completely completely pointless and then uh lewis hamilton uh difficult difficult to fight a driver that doesn't work to the same rule book uh so uh again when you've got drivers feeling they have to say that kind of thing because they've just lost faith in the in the ownership of the of, of the rule books it's it doesn't doesn't bode well at all so i uh i completely agree with your rant there tom even if i disagree with your driver choice but there we go uh moving on to, to phil then if you want to give us your driver today and the floor is yours for any further rants if you wish to strap in well, boys tom yeah tom did a great job and i'll credit tom uh i was hot in the chat and uh, i know his driver i'm not a fan of his driver and i'm sure he's not a fan of my driver and i probably went over the line and i'm dealing with some stuff but that's separate to what all went on today uh today's race was i mean Ocon's the guy it's gonna be a sweep um because i can't give it to my guy or his guy or anything this is a joke um, this race, the, the, the rights out and the way we grow Grand Prix was, it came through in flying colors. It was a cluster. There was tons of accidents It they could have had huge, massive, you had Mick Schumacher and, and Charles Leclerc going off at 250 Ks and had massive crashes. You had the egghead running into the back of, of George. You had all these F2 crashes that went on. It it was a totally farcical um, weekend, and it was a um, and it, it's a black eye for a sport that's supposed to be like the pinnacle of motorsport. They hold themselves as the pinnacle of motorsport Formula One, and you have this battle, albeit with two people that 
probably be better off if they'd go and and have a a boxing fight instead of racing. Um, but you know that Karen Horner would probably run in with a chair or something and and nail Lewis in the head because that seems like his mo anyway. Um, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I could get on a separate rant about him and how he does business and how he and all that leadership is, but I'll save that for the GSP. Um, this race was, was just terrible. Um, it was not a good look on any stretch of the imagination for formula one. It wasn't a good look that the two guys that are battling for the world championship, um, don't really know how to drive around each other. Uh, it's, it's a sad commentary on where we've come to as a sport where it's almost driven by social media goons and trying to have quotes on social media. Um, I mean, it's, I, it, it's, it's dangerous really. And I said this prior to us starting recording that I have this very bad feeling about what's coming next week. I don't feel like this is going to end up in a clean straight, forward fight at Abu Dhabi. I don't think that these guys are going to make it out of turn three or four, whatever the hell corner um, they have at uh, they've reprofiled this track. And in today's day and age, if that happens, I can only imagine what's going to come from that. And how do you, do you, do you deal with that for all these months going into next year um, as one thing, Michael Massey's performance today um, was akin to what they do in NASCAR and WWE. Um, it was a joke, and and he put a lot of guys in danger. It didn't seem like he had any control. The guys who were the driver stewards or the, the stewards for the weekend didn't seem like they had any involvement in the race. They did the five-second penalty to almost save face because they they had lost complete control of this. It became a circus. Considering they were at a circus, the track was a dump. It's unsafe. It. I mean, they they talk about tracks that say that they're grade one racetracks. There's nothing grade one about that racetrack. It's the same way Monaco isn't a grade one racetrack, but because it's historic, we go there. There's no his. There's history is one race, and this should be the last race. It won't be, but it should be the last race we have there because this is one of the worst races in Formula One history on so many levels. And it's something that Formula One um, has to deal with PR-wise. And I don't think Liberty has the ability to do that. And um, no matter what happens next week, uh, whatever comes, this this race is going to be the precipice of what um, everything is built off of for next year because they've lost it. It's like you've let the inmates run the asylum. That's that. It's just gone off the rails. Yeah, maybe maybe not grade one, maybe more first grade um, for for, uh, for track design. Certainly not uh, certainly not an elite track by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it looked exciting, looked fun to drive, but in a race situation, just for me, just seems a, a little too uh, too too crazy. Um, but uh, that kind of wraps us up for the podcast. Stick around for the uh, for the post show as well. Um, but uh, I'll just take this opportunity to allow you guys to plug anything that you you want to plug. We'll start with you, Tom. Uh, what would you like to plug? Um, a new FIA race director. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, no, I'm part of Everything F1. You can find us at everythingf1.com. Across all our socials, we are at joinef one 
we have our podcast, which is the Everything Upon podcast, where we'll be recording on Tuesday to share some thoughts on the race we've just had and also preview the winner-takes-all duel next week. Um, also, we have a YouTube channel, which is Everything F1, where we're doing circuit guides, all that kind of thing. We are, we're trying to grow that quite a lot. And also, we have a Discord server, which um, is steadily growing. Oh, sorry, more issues there. I was just checking the uh, checking the live stream for comments for afterwards. Um, cool, uh, Aaron. Have you got anything you want to you want to plug, podcast or website wise? Oh yes, uh, I run the Five Red Lights, and you can find that on YouTube and occasionally on uh, podcast platforms. Coming up there a little bit more recent. Uh, so just go on YouTube and search Five, the number Five uh, Red Lights. Find uh, most of my videos there. And so I do race previews and reviews, and uh, I did some uh, rudimentary analysis of the Turn 4 Brazil incident. I might have to get my uh, Microsoft Paint tools out again to uh, debate some of the things that happened today. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, on Instagram, it's 5 Red Lights, and on Twitter, I am at 5 underscore red underscore lights. Fantastic. And um, and Phil, uh, tell us about the GSP and where we can find it. Yeah, thank you, Tom. The Grip Strip Podcast is on most or all major uh, podcast platforms. Um, I'm, as executive producer, um, failing. Uh, the, the, pr- the talent version of Phil shows up, but the executive producer is more like Baba Booey. If you can get that reference in England, then God bless you. Um, but uh, we're we're eighty plus episodes in. This next episode is probably going to be one of the better ones because I haven't been this angry in a while. So um, back in my old days on my old shows that I used to be on, uh, I would go off on rants. Uh, let's just say I'm going to be going off on a rant or two or five uh, this coming week to pre-review this this um, race and what will be the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Um, we're at Grip Strip Pod on Twitter. You can find us, uh, as I said, most uh, platforms. We have YouTube on my YouTube page. I'm at Philip G. Matthew. You can follow my co-host Josh Huffine at JP Huffine as well. Um, we have some takes uh, and responses already so far from uh, what took place, and there will definitely be more to come. So um, thanks again, Tom, for hosting and for Tom and Aaron and everybody here and um, George and the whole group here on the F1 Chronicle and um, Grid Talk podcast. It's a great group to be a part of. I'm glad to be a part of it. And great. Just want to say thank you to all the panelists as well for, for today. Uh, it's a great, fun podcast to come on to. The uh, first time hosting as well for me. And uh, after the aborted attempt, which was my previous attempt at hosting, was the Spa Grand Prix, which uh, which never happened. So um, if you want to hear more from me, I'm uh, I'm on the Monkey Seat podcast. I've kept my opinions fairly well to myself today. So you have to tune into Monkey Seat to hear those. We're at Monkey Seat Pod on the socials and monkeyseatpod.com. Uh, if you want to hear more from Formula One Grid Talk, we have a huge back catalogue of shows as well as reviews, previews and analysis. We have special episodes which have interviews and s- historic season features to get stuck into. Most recently, an interview that myself and George did with Morris Hamilton about the uh, the life of Murray Walker in his latest book. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Grid Talk, please consider supporting us via Patreon for just from just $1 a week. And uh, you, that is for better microphones, cables and lighting equipment and maybe a cheeky pint after recording if we're up for it. Uh, we're also available on all major podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Verbal, Omni Studio and Pocket Casts. Uh, as well as being available on the F1 Chronicle website. All our shows go out live on YouTube after uh, straight after the event and we have a post show where we answer your questions in the live chat. Just search for F1 Chronicle on YouTube and don't forget to subscribe and hit the bell so you know when we're live. We are going to be back tomorrow to preview the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, which is next weekend, and we also have a special Kimi Raikkonen tribute episode on Tuesday to, to look out for. Don't forget to subscribe on your podcast player of choice uh, and uh, thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>